0: So, I was thinking about what to talk about, as I often do, and and uh, I wanted to start the series. We're, we're going to have to take a break from it to do maybe an Easter message or two, um, but I, I want to just kind of roll through the book of James. Uh, the student leaders and, and I have been engaged in this reading plan that we've been doing, and uh, we rolled through the book of James, and, and I, I think I've, I've read James before, um, but as I was going through it this time, and... Uh, it just kinda hit me a little bit more than it did before. It's just a, a book filled with, with, with gold from, from start to finish. Um, and you could say that about all the books of the Bible, of course, but James, is just, it just kinda stood out to me and it's been kinda awesome. We've had great, we've had great conversations in our student leader meetings about it. Um, so we're gonna just kinda more or less roll through the book of James. It's not gonna be like previous messages where there's like a topic like um, depression and at the end of it we're all gonna pray that we'd be released of depression. All right there might be a lot of different things that stick out to you, that stand out to you, ways that you can respond to each each night's message. Um, so whatever it looks like, so it's gonna be a little different, but I think you're gonna be okay. Uh, a quick little background of James, the dude. Um, oddly enough, the book of James was written by James, uh, not him. <laughs> It was written by, by James. He was one of the 12 disciples and apostles, guys that rolled with Jesus, and um, coincidentally was the brother of Jesus, which I feel like would be kind of interesting. Um, so that's, that's kind of what he is. So we're going to go open your Bibles to James 1. I apparently missed it. James 1. If you don't have a Bible, get one. If you don't get one, I'll have to call you out, and I don't want to have to do that. Because we are going to be in our Bibles quite a bit. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. We're going to stop there. Because believe it or not, there's stuff to learn, even in that little greeting, that one verse greeting. So, first of all, James calls himself, refers to himself in this translation as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus. And I just, that kind of struck me a little bit. I mean, obviously we know that that servanthood is a big deal with Jesus and that, you know, he came to serve and not to be served and and all this stuff. So we know that that being a servant's important. Um, but what it kind of struck me this way, as you think about it, James is, is the brother of Jesus. And I just think that that um, I don't know why that struck me, that, that the brother of Jesus would, would claim to be the servant of, of God and of the Lord Jesus being his brother. That just kind of hit me weird. Um, because uh, there's no way in poop that I would ever refer to myself as the servant of my brother. Um, that wouldn't happen. Like even, I don't know, and I can't put myself in issues, but even if my brother was like Jesus, that would be tricky. You know what I mean? Because um, it's your brother. But that just kind of struck me, and, and it just kind of goes to show how important. Like, he could have referred to himself as anything. He could have, he could have, he be like James, the dopest brother of Jesus. You know, he could have done anything he wanted, but he says, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus. That was important. Uh, and then the next part says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. I'm just going to talk about that a little bit. First of all, dispersion basically means scattered. All right, so the 12 tribes that were scattered. The 12 tribes are who? Who make up of the 12 tribes? Just in general, I don't need the tribes. Huh? A guy. There's several millions of dudes. Uh, The 12 tribes were basically all the Jews. Okay? It was the entire nation of Israel or the Jewish people made up of the 12 tribes. Um, The only, I can think of a couple 12 tribes, so I'm not going to try to name them. I can just think of Dan. Levites. Yeah, they were the cool ones. Anyways, um, I think there's a tribe of Manasseh. Anyways, so there's all these 12 tribes were basically the people of Israel. So the, he, he's basically addressing this book, this letter that he wrote, to all of the Jewish people scattered everywhere. Okay, does that make sense? I think it's important to recognize that as we read the book so we can read it through that lens, through that perspective. Word? Thank you. Now we're going to start, tonight we're going to hit verses 2 through 18 and we're going to take it in chunks. The first chunk we're going to take, well actually it's the second technically, is verses 2 through 4. Oh yeah, you don't have to turn pages. Um, I'll just read it. I'm in a reading mood tonight. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So when I read this, in just the heading, saying Test, testing of your faith, it makes me think of a uh, pot. <laughs> a pot, excuse me. It makes me think of like a vase. OK, so do you know how these things, these clay pots are made? You know how they're made? No? No? Y'all going to learn. Uh, yeah, it's just in pottery class. Um, so you get this 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 chunk of clay right you 're sitting at this table thing and and you you get this clay on the table and, and it has to be wet i believe i 've never done it before um, of course not that would be it would be clay soup um, you don 't want clay soup, so there 's this clay on the table, and you get it a little wet, and then you get the guy going the the wheel table, and then you start to no it 's two I get a double pedal because it goes faster, so there 's a double pedal. And then you, you, make, you make whatever you want to. Shh, don't teach me. Look, if it was important, if it was important to what I'm talking about, I would have got it right, but it's not. Okay? So there's the, there's the, the thing. And you, you, sh- you shape it, and you make a vase, you make a pot, whatever you want to make, you make it. And then what do you do after that? So let's say you, you get the shape you want. What do you do after that? And then where do you put it? Yes, you put it in a kiln. You put it in a kiln. So at one point, at one point, uh, I knew this because I researched this for an illustration, my message, but I didn't look it up. But at one point, I knew how hot a kiln got before you put clay in it. And it was a ridiculous temperature. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, yeah, I wouldn't want to be near it. And then after you take it out of the kiln, then it's this perfectly formed, great vase, pot, whatever you made out of clay. Um, the point of all this is a, a, a vase or a clay pot cannot become that finished product until it's put in in the, the heat, until it's put into these extreme temperatures where it can dry, where it can, it can finish being made. Does that make sense? Here's why I'm talking about this right now. We grow better. We grow faster. We we develop more. We mature more when we're put in the heat, when we're put in the flames, when we endure hardship. If you just go through your life without enduring any hardship, without your faith ever being tested, you are going to be a wimpy, weak Christian with wimpy, weak faith. Our faith doesn't become strong until there's a fire put under us, until it's being tested. And verses 3 and 4 tells us a little bit what happens if we respond well to trial. There are bad ways to respond to trial. Maybe you've seen this in your life. Maybe you responded poorly to trial in your life. Maybe you've seen other people. Um, but there are bad ways to respond to a trial. The first is, is to fight it, just to try to fight it, to resist it. Um, you, A bad way of, of facing trial would be to challenge or to doubt God. I think it's okay to challenge God a little bit because that's kind of human nature. Um, but when you continue to allow that to happen to the point where you doubt God and continue to doubt Him um, and kind of bask in that doubt, then that's the inappropriate response to a trial. Um, a good way to respond to a trial is to allow it to test your faith, to, to accept it as what it is, um, and to, to let it test your faith and then to move into, um, what am I trying to say? Um, to build up steadfastness in you. And steadfastness, steadfastness is basically um, just being firm in your purpose and your faith. To have unwavering faith is what steadfastness is. Um, and that's how we get to that kind of faith is by responding well to a trial, to see the trial as what it is um, and to endure through it, relying on God and trusting in God through the process. We can't be sure of our faith until it's tested, until we faced trials. Um, it's really easy. If you're in a good time of your life right now, it, it's a lot easier to keep your faith when life is just peaches, right? But when everything is just melting and coming down around you, then it's a little tougher, and your faith is tested. All right, we're going to go to verses 5 through 8. 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. It will be given him, excuse me. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So in this, these three verses, um, we're talking a little bit about wisdom. And how many of you have been in a situation in your life where you just recognize that you need more wisdom in that situation in your life? Um, maybe, maybe some of you haven't quite been in that position yet, um, but you will. I feel like as you get older, um, things just kind of are bigger. Um, and there's been several times in my life where um, I just have gotten to the point where I realized that, that I, I need wisdom desperately. I don't know how to respond in this situation. I don't know what to do. I need divine wisdom in this moment. And in verse 5, it says that all we have to do if we need wisdom is just simply ask. And if we ask, he will give generously, without reproach. He will give us the wisdom that we need. But the catch is that we have to ask in faith. And that seems like such just a basic concept, but it's so crucial. Um, We have to ask in faith, believing that God can and he will give us the the wisdom that we request. Like verses 6 through 8 says, if we doubt, the whole thing is kind of pointless. Um, First, our lack of faith causes us to waver. Like it says in the passage, to be blown about, to not be firm and steadfast in in our faith. And that will obviously cause problems as we encounter trials. Um, But secondly, why would God want to help us if we don't believe that he can or he will? Think about that. It's really insulting if you think about it. I mean, we know what the Bible says God is and, and you know, the power he has and, and all this. But, I mean, a lot of times we, we pray prayers and, and we don't believe that they're going to happen. Maybe some of us tonight when we pray for Sam, maybe you had the thought, yeah, maybe God can heal, but he probably won't, right? I mean, how many times do we go to prayer without actually believing that God can or will do what we're praying for? What's the point then? You know, what is the point of praying if we don't believe what we're praying? It's like a slap to the face of God. It's questioning His authority. It's questioning His sovereignty. It's questioning His power. And who are we to do that? So we need to, to uh, have faith when we're, when we're praying, when we're praying for things. Specifically in this verse, it's talking about wisdom. There's going to be lots of times in your life where you're going to need wisdom. You, you really have to look no further than right here in this verse. What, we're te- what it's telling us is just to simply turn to God, to ask God for wisdom, and we can have access to it. He will pour out wisdom on us, and we will receive that if we believe that God can and will provide. All right, we're going to move on to 9, verses 9 through 11. 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and let the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits." That seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Now again and again, as you read the Bible, you're going to see lots of different verses about rich people and poor people and how, I guess, just difficult it is for a rich person to engage in the Christian life, in the Christian faith. Um, there's so many passages about it. I mean, Jesus says, last will be first, first will be last. And there's a story about the young rich ruler who had all this wealth and he couldn't give it up and all this stuff. And and there's just, oh, yeah, the passage we're going to talk about where it says, um, it's, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to, to go to heaven. Right? That seems kind of intense and kind of harsh. but I mean why is this the case? Why is there such condemnation on people with wealth? Um, and it really comes down to this one word and that's greed. Um, the rich have money, and when they have money, when they have wealth, when a person has wealth, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes what happens is they, they crave more. They want, More, They have this uncontrollable want for more, and that becomes the only thing that's important to them, accumulating more wealth. And if there's one thing that you need to learn in this life, well, one of many, it's that if there's anything in your life, regardless of whether it's wealth or your job or school or an extracurricular or a boyfriend or girlfriend, husband and wife in the future, whatever it is, if there's anything in your life that comes before God, You need to put it in its place. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of things that can take control, but I think there's a little difference when it comes to money. For some reason, money and wealth just grips us a little bit in a different way um, that other things do. Um, That's why Jesus talks uh, about um, the fact that we can't serve two masters, that we can't serve money and God. Right, and that money is the root of all kinds of evil. You could have said anything is the root of all kinds of evil, but he said money because there's just something about money and wealth that just grips us in a way that, that hardly anything else does. It leads us to greed, and it controls us. It consumes us, and we have to be careful for that. So that's that. Let's go to verse 12. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. That's a nice verse, isn't it? That's a good one. So if we remain steadfast, if we remain unwavering in our faith in the midst of a trial or hardship, if we remain faithful to God in the midst of of the world crumbling around us, we're promised to receive this crown of life, which is eternal life in heaven. So it kind of, in the midst of this section on testing our faith, it kind of, uh, I don't know, shoots some energy into the conversation a little bit by saying, hey, it's going to be tough, it's going to be rough, but if you stick to your guns, if you stick with me, being God, then you'll receive the crown of life. You'll receive the ultimate reward. And that's awesome. So we get this promise in the middle. And then we get back to business in verses 13 through 15. 13 through 15 says, let no one say when he is tempted. I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Temptation is an enormous issue in our lives. We all face temptation. We're all tempted to sin every day, multiple times a day. Think back to today, just your day today. How were you tempted today? You don't have to tell me, just think in your head. What were you tempted by? What were you tempted to do today? or at school, or at home, or work, or wherever you were, what were you tempted? In what way were you tempted today? And then how did you respond to that temptation? Did you resist that temptation to do that thing that you know you shouldn't do? Or did you just cave? See, there's some things that we need to learn um, that this passage talks about. The first thing we need to learn is that this uh, that temptation is not from God. I think sometimes a lot, of, a lot of people think that sometimes God tests us by tempting us. Um, but we find out something very important in this passage, that, that yes, God does test us, but He never tempts us. God cannot tempt us with anything. Because temptation is, is based on our own evil desires, on our heart, on our thoughts, on our minds. Um, so we're always tempted by, by something bad, right? It har- hardly are we tempted to do something good, right? I think that's probably called something different. But when we're tempted, we're tempted by an evil thing, and God and evil cannot coexist. Um, it's counterproductive for God to tempt us. Now, He'll test us because that's different, because that's shaping us and maturing us. But God cannot exist with evil, and that's what temptation is. We are only tempted by our own desires, this pastor says. The things that tempt us are the things that we are weakest towards. So my temptations are going to be different than Dina's, and Dina's is going to be different than Tyler's, and Tyler's is going to be different than Tanner's, and so on. We all have different temptations because we're all different people, and we're all weaker in different areas. And then Satan will kind of find out what those things are, and he'll use that evilness in our hearts to bring those desires and those thoughts to the foreground of our mind, and we'll be tempted to do those things. It's out of us, it's out of our issues, it's out of our weaknesses that we're tempted. Not because of God, but because of us. And then we get a little something that I like to call the road to death in the last verse, in verse 15. It kind of plans, or it kind of puts out this road map to, to death, right? It starts with the desire, and then desire, um, when, it gets, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and then sin leads to death, Right? So when we think of desire, desire, what desi- what, what desire is, is, is our thoughts, is our urges. It's it's kind of those things in our in our mind, in our heart. And then once we we allow those thoughts, those desires, those urges to to continue on, then it gives birth to sin. It gives birth to action, right? We act out of our thoughts, um, and those things that we continue to allow to happen in our minds and in our hearts, eventually we're going to act on. And then if we let our actions continue to go, then it will just lead us to death. It will lead us to hell. If we don't cut off our thoughts and our evil desires, we're going to move on it. And if we don't stop it there, if we don't stop our actions, then it's going to take us further and further from God into death and into hell. All right, let's take a look at the last part of the passage that we're going to talk about today. Verses 16 through 18. It says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is kind of ending on a pretty good note. There's a couple big things that we see in this passage. The first is that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from God the Father of lights. Everything that we have, everything that we are, is from Him. I mean, think about what that entails in your life. Everything that you are, everything that makes up the person who you are, He designed you. He created you. Everything that you have. And you may not think that you have a lot, but I think if you real analyze your your life, I think you realize that, that you have quite a bit. Everything that you have is from Him. Everything. Everything is from God. But because it's from God, that means that everything is for God. Like that's kind of the part where we lose it a little bit, where we see all this stuff and it's ours, right? Maybe even when you get a little bit older, if you have a job now, you have a job and you get money and then you buy things and you think you're entitled to that because you work for that, but you, you're not. It's not yours. Everything that you can earn is from God. You're from God. Everything that makes up you is from Him. And everything you have is from Him. And because of that, it's for Him. We're just borrowing it. We're just being stewards of what God has given us. And then it talks about God's changelessness. And this is is a cool part. I think sometimes this is a part that we just kind of look over sometimes. But think about what that means. We can know God and who He is because of what we read in this book. And now you say, duh, but really think about what that. I mean, if God wasn't changeless then we could read this book and it would be for nothing because God could possibly be different. But now because we know that God is changeless, we can read this book and we can see how he loves his people and we can see how he responds to his people. Time after time, he draws people back to him because he loves us so. And we can look at that and we can know exactly how God loves us and we can know exactly how God responds to us because of how he loves and how he responds to people in this book. Man, they may not seem like a big deal, but that's enormous. If God changed, none of this would matter too much. At best, it would give us a rough estimate of what God is, of who God is. Man, but He loves us, and we can know because we look look in this book, and it's out of the same love that He created us, that He redeemed us through Jesus so that we could be drawn to Him so that our sin wouldn't keep us away from him any longer. It's in this book that we find out that we are his, his prized possessions, his beloved creation. We were made in his image. Think of that. We were made in the image of God. How amazing is that? And we know that because God is the same God in here. Is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So as we wrap up, count trials as joy. Go through trials and tests well and realize that it creates faith. It builds your faith and respond well to those moments. When you get in a position in your life where you need wisdom, you know where to look. But remember to ask for it in faith. Remember the struggles that come along with greed and all that the Bible says about greed. Remember that awesome promise of the crown of blessing if we remain steadfast and firm and we remain in faith during trials. Remember that temptation is all around us, that it's not from God. It's from us. It's from our desires. And our desires lead us to sin, and sin leads us to death. Remember the amazing gifts that God has poured out and that they're from God. And because they're from God, they're also for God. They remember the amazing truth that God is changeless. Man, we're not even, that's about halfway through the first chapter. It's a lot of stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, let's pray, huh? Dear God, we're so grateful for you and all that you are. God, I'm thankful for this, this amazing book, Lord, the your word, that we can just open, Lord, and have this direct link to you and to who you are. We can see how, you respond to people, how you love your people. And we know that because you are changeless, that you love us the same way, that you respond to us the same way, and we're so grateful for that. God, I thank you for all these things that we, that we learned just tonight from reading the first part of, of the book of James, chapter 1. God, I pray as we continue to go through this book and, and all the things that we're going to talk about, all the things that we're going to learn, God, I pray, Lord, that we would just take them to the heart, that they would just be engraved in our heart. God, that we would have that in the back of our minds to always go back to, so we know how to, how to face trials, how to face temptations. God, that we would keep things in perspective and remember that everything is from you and because of that, everything is for you. God, that we would just keep all these things in our heart. In your name we pray. Amen.